grab your Bibles. We are in Proverbs. And turn with me over to chapter 15. We ended last week in verse 29. We'll pick it up in verse 30. I don't know if I asked, um, who's anybody visiting for the first time that I don't know, haven't met? If so, wave at me so I know you're here. All right. Hey, welcome to Calvary Chapel. And all right. Well, Pastor Kevin, I hope to meet you before you leave. And thank you all for being here. We're about to have some fun now because God gets to speak um, from his word. And picking it up in verse 30, we're going to read. And then we'll dive in. Everybody all right? Awesome. It says in verse 30, Proverbs 15, 30, the light of the eyes rejoices the heart. And a good report makes the bones healthy. The ear of the, where am I at? Yeah, the ear that hears the rebukes of life, sorry, will abide among the wise. He who disdains instruction despises his own soul, but he who heeds rebuke gets understanding. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and behold, and before honor is humility. Now, let me settle down. I think I've had too much coffee. All right. <laughs> Chapter 16, verse 1 says, the preparations of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. So, Father, we thank you today for the word that you've given to us, this text, Lord God. And I pray that you would uh, open it to us now, Lord. Remove the things that hinder, we ask whether it's the cares of this life in our own hearts and minds or if it's the distractions that may be in the room, Lord, I pray that you would take our hearts and minds draw our attention towards you. Have your way with us for this hour, Lord God, and speak to us by your spirit. Lord, strengthen us and preparing us for the week ahead. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. And so as we begin in verse 30, it's kind of a theme that's been building that the God is dealing with the heart because in verse 30 it says, the light of the eye rejoices the heart. The light of the eyes rejoices the heart and a good report makes the bones healthy. And as we begin to think about that, you may think to yourself, what in the world does that verse mean? And I think keeping it within context as we've been seeing, as we ended last week all of these things like back in verse 27 where it's 26 where it says the thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord but the words of the pure are pleasant or he who is greedy for gain even you remember that one troubles his own house but he who hates a bribe will live and all of these things the heart of the righteous studies how to answer all of these things that deal with the heart God in verse 29 is far from the wicked but he hears the prayers of the righteous so when we get to verse 30 this theme continues where it says the light of the eyes rejoices the heart And a good report makes the bones healthy. And when I think about the the light of the the eyes rejoicing the heart, my mind for some reason goes to the the windows of a house. (laughs) I don't know why, but the windows of a house and it lets certain things in, you know. And the windows of a house can allow really good things in depending on what's 
out there. Yeah, I love, uh, and I don't know how many of you would agree, but I love windows, a lot of windows in a house on a sunny day. And I love the, 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 the natural light that comes in and brightens the whole house and you don't have to turn the lights on. And I love that kind of stuff uh, in the morning. You know, I grew up in, in, in farm country and when it's hot, in the, in the afternoon and then after rain comes through and you can open the windows and you get this fresh breeze that just refreshes the whole house. Um, I don't know if you, anybody's ever experienced that or, or and all of those wonderful things. What comes in can be a blessing unless there's a nuclear fallout out there and then you got you to seal the windows. So I began to think about that. The, the light of the eye rejoices the heart. Well, in the New Testament, Jesus doing his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount And if you remember, and really quick, I want you to see it over in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is speaking to a crowd of Jewish people. How do we know that? Because the gospel is for the Jew first, then the Gentile. And so at this uh, early part of Jesus' ministry, even when he would send his disciples out, they went to the house of Israel. So at this point, he's speaking to a bunch of Jewish people. And he begins this way, which probably causes their hearts and minds to go back to Solomon in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 30. Because here in Matthew 6, it says in verse 22, if you're there, look at it with me. Matthew 6, uh, Matthew 6 22 says, the lamp of the body is what? The eye. Oh, my goodness. I immediately thought about this. Similar language, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, the whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, when you begin to think about this, it's clear to, to most of us, I think, that Jesus is not just talking about the physical eye. We understand that because, you know, there's something you could be completely blind and these verses still apply to you. In fact, I knew a man who was blind, um, taught at the seminary, and this, he was an amazing guy, full of joy. He could get in the pulpit, and he would wind up his little uh, walker cane thing and set it beside his Bible, and then he would go to preaching with as much joy and zeal as you could imagine. And, uh, and so it's not the physical part of the eye that Jesus is really getting at. It applies, but it's something greater. In fact, If you look at the context, if you back up to the preceding verse that I didn't read, verse 21, look at verse 21 with me. It says, for where your treasure is, y'all see that? There your heart will be also. And then look at the verse after, look at verse 24, where it says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, uh, mammon meaning material things. So when we begin to think about that, and before I even go there, Jesus even says in the previous chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 27 through 29, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. I went back to chapter 5, verse 27. But I say to you now in verse 28, that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with his heart. He uses eyes, but in his heart is what was stirring the use of his eyes. So in verse 29, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you 
that one of your members perish, then your whole body be cast into hell. So Jesus really gets at the issue, which is what's happening within us. And so when we begin to think about this, listen, the condition of the heart determines in a lot of ways how the lamp of the body is used. See, if your treasure is on earth, you will use your eye in a greedy, covetous way. Kind of back in, back, back over in Proverbs. Now you remember last week in verse 27 where it says, he who is greedy for gain troubles his own house. So again, if your treasure is in heaven, then you'll use your eye in a greedy, covetous way with carnal emotions and envy and hatred and anger. And if your treasure is in heaven, you will use your eye in a godly way in love and in patience and a desire to see others blessed of the Lord. You see, and back in Proverbs 13, 9, you don't have to turn there, but it says the light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. And I love that. So there is something that stirs. One commentator said this concerning this verse. He says the light of the eyes may perhaps refer to the radiant face of a friend if so, the two lines of the Proverbs will be speaking of the heartwarming effect that, that persons and facts have on our own lives. Look at the verse again. We're in verse 30 now. The light of the eyes rejoices the heart, and a good report makes the bones healthy. So there's something that has happened in the heart of those who love the Lord, who have the fear of the Lord, who, who love him and so therefore love his people and therefore see people through his eyes, that because their hearts are to the Lord, then even how they use their eyes becomes different. And, and, and they begin to rejoice in even a good report. And I want to remind you of how important the heart actually is in all of this. If you remember way back in Proverbs 4.23, you don't have to turn there, but it told us there to keep your heart with all diligence for out of it springs the issues of life. In, in Philippians in the New Testament, it, it, it says to make our requests known to God and the peace of God guards our heart. So the heart is extremely important and we need to have it towards the Lord because when it is, then the light of the eyes, it causes rejoicing within the heart. Why? Because I'm viewing things through the heart of the Lord. So then what happens, the good report it, men it mentions here is healthy or it makes the bones healthy as we've been seeing all the way through our study in Proverbs that, listen, if we turn our hearts to the Lord, if we're meditating on his word, if we are seeking to do his commandments, it literally brings help to our physical body and peace. Y'all remember those verses? We've seen so many of them. So what's happening? Well, because my heart is towards the Lord, that I'm viewing things through the Lord. So then when I see you struggling, one of you, my heart is grieved then because that's a bad report. My desire is for you to be blessed. When I see you blessed, my heart rejoices because I desire to see you blessed in the Lord. And so therefore, I'm seeing things through his eyes. It's, whereas the wicked see you struggling and rejoice in that because it's an opportunity for gossip. Or it's an opportunity to say, look, I'm doing better than. But man, when we, because look, we are connected to the Lord and to one another. And so what happens then is we desire to see those whom we are connected to eternally walking in victory in the Lord. Amen. And when we see it, we can praise the Lord. So when, when I don't see you, I just saw a brother in the lobby and I walked up to him. Hey, you, you've been on our, my mind. 
And he's like, oh, pastor, this, that was going on, but everything is good. Well, praise God, you know. And then because when you miss somebody and you don't see them, your heart is, hey, I wonder how that person's doing. But when they walk in the door having had a victorious week, guess what we do? We rejoice with one another, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Why? Because I'm viewing the situation through the heart of the Lord. And so the light of the eyes rejoices my heart even in what I see. And a good report, it makes the bones healthy. Praise God when we see each other doing well. Now, there's a side of this that you kind of got to think about, though, because Jesus hinted towards it. So then if I use my eyes to view things sinfully, that's going to have an impact in my heart. And if I, this is why we have to guard the heart. Are you following me? Because it's very important. So if I'm using my eyes to sin, Job said, I've made a covenant with my eyes that I will not look upon another woman. Remember that? And so he, he had to train his eyes. So as I learn to train my eyes so that I don't use my eyes for sin, then I can keep my heart healthy. Does that make sense? And it works both ways. And so there's, we talked about this last week, having to, to train our flesh because the carnal nature just wants to sin. Y'all know that? Y'all realize that? So there's a bit of training that must take place as all of this runs full circle. We talked about this last week and it's so very important. So the light of the eyes rejoices the heart. Hey, if my heart is right, I'm seeing things in, God, in God's eyes. And, 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 and I'm training my eyes so I don't put anything in that's going to taint because we live in a fallen world. Amen. You imagine the world Paul lived in when he walked into Corinth. You know, you, you have to have your heart right because you can't change the things that you see. And the world is getting darker. And what we will see will become worse and worse and worse. All right. So. We see that verse, but then not only the eyes, now we got to deal with the ears. Look at verse 31. The ear that hears the rebukes of life will abide among the wise. I like this verse because if you listen to the language, it kind of implies something that we need to catch. So the heart, excuse me, the ear that hears the rebukes of life. Now when he says the ear, just like when he said the eye, it's not, it's not this thing. It's this thing. You follow me? Okay. That here's the rebukes of life. What are the rebukes of life? Now, there are direct rebukes, like when Nathan rebuked David. Like there, there's some of us that have people in lives that will just directly rebuke us. But the reality is the rebukes of life, if your heart is for the Lord, your heart begins to get trained, your heart's ear to hearing these rebukes because they're happening around us all the time. What does it mean? Well, the ear that hears the rebukes of life meaning those ways that God speaks to our heart, and he does it all the time. I mean, I've heard rebukes when other people are having conversations, and I ain't even in it. Or I can be talking to a child and get rebuked. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I can be listening to the radio, and the Holy Spirit can rebuke me using those things because as I'm living life and walking with the Lord, listen, I'm training my ear, my spiritual ear, to be sensitive to that which the Lord is saying to me because I desire to please the Lord. And so because of that, I'm having conversations within the congregation and the spirit is giving me little subtle rebukes that through the things that I'm hearing because my heart is in tune with the Lord. And those little rebukes are things that are correcting me as I walk with him. You know, I can hear somebody else talking about 
um, what they're going through and how God is dealing with them. And God will remind me that the same issue is in me and he's been trying to correct me. Y'all follow what I'm saying? And this is how God works in our lives. And if you are listening truly, they're happening all the time. The rebukes of life. This is how God can mold and shape and lead us in various ways, the rebukes of life. And, and look, this is why fellowship is so important, which we'll see later on, because it's often in fellowship as iron sharpens iron, there's corrections that just happen. And we hear these things. We might not want to acknowledge we just got rebuked. We laugh it off like ain't nothing happened or, you know, okay, that wasn't for me, you know. But inside, the Holy Spirit is like, you need to hold on to that one. Because you, you're doing the same thing and you need to change it. Anybody other than me get rebuked? Okay, good. We can move on. All right. Verse 32. Verse 32 now deals with the soul, the eyes, the ears, the soul now. Verse 32. He who disdains instruction despises his own soul. But he who heeds rebuke gets understanding. Now, in the previous verse, the one who hears the rebukes of life, he will abide among the wise, we saw, abiding among the wise. Why? Well, because he's trained his ear to hear the rebukes of the Lord, and he's yielding to those convictions. Remember last week I told you one way to spiritual growth is to, do, to be obedient to the little things that the Lord shares with you. Those little things, those subtle things, it could be something small, but when you know it's the Spirit of God, you've got to stop and respond. That's how you gain traction and momentum spiritually in your life. So then, same thing with verse 32, he who hates instruction, it's like he despises his own soul. It's kind of like when I see someone who is abusing heroin or meth in times when we've done a lot of uh, outreach ministry. And, and it's almost obvious because their teeth are rotting and they're, they're, it's almost like somebody took cigarette butts and pushed it into their skin. It's like their skin is even deteriorating. And so it's almost as if they hate their own bodies as they're doing the drugs. Does that make sense? Well, here it's the same thing. He who hates instruction despises his own soul. Why? Because God is trying to correct us because he loves us. So as a believer, as a disciple, I should be sensitive. I should be expecting the Lord to correct me on a daily basis. And the rebukes of life are coming in various ways. Now, I don't even want to go outside some days. They come so fast. Like, I'm, I'm hearing it everywhere, you know. God will rebuke me when I hear the birds chirping. You know why? Because I've been in the Word. I'll hear the birds chirping, and the Lord will remind me. The Holy Spirit will say, see, you know what the Word says. They ain't got to worry about nothing, so why are you worried? I can be having my coffee. I ain't even open my Bible, hear the birds in the morning, and I get convicted that I shouldn't be worried about anything. Does that make sense? Because the rebukes of life are for those who are listening for the Lord. So likewise, if I hate instruction, I hate my own soul because my soul can't grow and experience God's joy and peace if I am not willing to yield to the correction that is coming my way. And that's why in verse 33, as we continue, it says here, the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. How is the fear of the Lord the instruction of wisdom? What it's implying is that if you've got the fear of the Lord, then you're yielded to instruction and you have wisdom. What do I mean by that? Well, remember the definition of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is to have this reverential respect for who he is and having this fear of disappointing him or drifting away from him. You respect him, you don't want to disappoint him, and you want to stay close to him. And it's for that reason you are humbling yourself and trying to hear what he is saying to you in your daily life. And because of that, 
you have instruction of wisdom. Does that make sense? It's a part of your life. And so then as we end verse 33, it says, and before honor is humility. And I love this. Before honor is humility. Now catch this disciple of Jesus Christ if you are a disciple. And a disciple, remember, what's the difference between a Christian and a disciple of Jesus Christ? Well, according to a Christ, uh, uh, the American definition of a Christian is someone who loosely is affiliated at least once a year with some Judean Christian organization. That's basically what it, it is. A disciple of Jesus Christ says, I'm following Jesus even if everybody else is going the other way. You follow what I'm saying? I'm walking with Jesus now. So for the disciple, you got to catch this. Honor, before honor is humility. How does that work? Jesus is our example always. Now, Philippians, it says that, hey, Jesus didn't count it robbery, consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself or took upon himself no reputation and made himself a bondservant. He humbled himself to the death, even the death of the cross. And so therefore, because he humbled himself and became like one of us and was obedient for 33 years, all the way to the death of the cross, it says that now God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to the glory of God. Y'all remember those verses? So it's saying that before his honor and glory, he humbled himself and became obedient all the way to the cross. Even on the night before when he said to his father, if there was another way, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will, and he went on. Y'all remember that? And so then, you know what it says at the beginning of that passage of Scripture? It says, let this mind be in you that's also in Christ Jesus. And the beautiful thing is Jesus never contradicted his Father or the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Bible says that he always does those things which please his Father. And the two, and he was, he was one with his Father. So therefore, he gave us an example. So therefore, let this mind be in us. So then we have to humble ourselves and walk with the Lord because only in humility can we please him. Because pride stinks to God. It's, it's a stench that he can't stand. Now, Peter says it this way, and, uh, and I have this one. I think Andres has this one if the screens are working now. First Peter 5, verse 5 through 7 says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. Man, Whew. it's like part of the humility is having, a, having this submission to one another. Let me pause for a moment. So in the marriage chapter of Ephesians, wives submit to your own husbands. Not if you heard that verse. Before it, submit one to another. Y'all remember that, right? So that means that both the husband and the wife have to submit to the marriage. The marriage is before all other things, right? So we got that. Well, likewise, we have to submit to one another within the church with all humility. We don't like that. But we're called to that. Why? Because that's what a disciple does because a disciple is following Jesus. So he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, verse 6 says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting your cares upon him because he cares for you. Such beautiful verses. In other words, the disciple has found safety and humility before his God or her God 
who we are trusting with our lives, knowing that he's the one that's going to reward in due time. The rewards are ahead. I need to humble myself before him now. And you do too. Amen. This is what makes us disciples and what makes us different from the world, a place of humility, putting ourselves in the place of a servant. So humility is, is, is something that must happen before honor can come. Now, as it relates to our Christian walk and ministry, we don't like this either because we want, we want it the way we want it when we want it, pretty much, right? <laughs> and we don't learn often to uh, humble ourselves first. And I think that um, one of the things that we understand, I think it's part of Calvary, if you will, that we've learned from those who came before us is humility is a must. When it comes time to, for people to be elevated in ministry, you, you look for people who are humble, who have a healthy prayer life and who will simply serve Jesus, meaning they'll do anything that they're asked to do by the Lord in service. And that's the people, um, you know, most Calvary pastors are good at something before they become pastors, like mopping the floor, you know, um, or, or, or doing something in the children's ministry, whatever, the, the, you know, just, just serving the Lord. That's where joy actually comes and just serving the Lord. We got to move on. All right. Chapter 16, verse 1. Notice what it says. The preparations of the heart belong to man, but the answers of the tongue is from the Lord. I love these verses. The preparations, the word in the Hebrew, it simply means arrangement, plan, preparation. So the arrangements of things, the planning of things, preparations, that I mean, that's what man does. But the answer to it all comes from God. The response to it all comes from God. Now, you, have, you may have heard it said that man plans and God laughs. How many of you have heard that before? <laughs> yeah, I've even used that man plans and God laughs. And, and that is the case when in, in, in my pride or your pride, you plan something. You remember what James says. Just listen for a moment. Trust me, James chapter for I, for those of you who've been here a while, I've earned your trust. For those who I haven't, you write it down and make sure I say it right, okay? All right, James chapter 4, verse 13 says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Got it all planned out. Verse 14 says, Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life, it is even a vapor that appears for a little time, then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. James was reminding us in the New Testament, James says, your life is nothing but a vapor in the wind. Here today, gone tomorrow, you don't have the ability to plan out anything ultimately. Does that make sense? Why is he saying that? Well, because we need to check ourselves and make sure that as we are planning, we're doing it the right way. So it's wise to plan because as a disciple, we're stewards. So it's wise for us to plan, but we need to do so understanding that God is in control. So seek his guidance as you do everything. Down in verse 9, Pastor Jeffrey mentioned it on the video earlier. Verse 9 of this chapter says, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Y'all remember that? So this is this consistent thing that we're going to be learning. But some Christians, listen very carefully because you may find yourself here. Some Christians get so stuck in trying to figure this out. 
and they come and they say, they ask, they say, how do I know that I'm following God's plan? I'm not sure I'm hearing from God. And you can actually get stuck in the paralysis of analysis and accomplish nothing if you, if you allow yourself to get stuck there. So what I'm trying to tell you is that we humbly plan, but the whole thing is a walk of faith. It's a walk of faith. So ultimately, you're called to simply trust him. Proverbs chapter 3, you know this one, verse 5 and 6. Look it up in your own time. It says that we should trust in the, in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he shall, y'all remember the rest, direct your path. So it's faith. It's faith. I acknowledge him. We're going to see it in a moment. And then I walk with him fully expecting that he's going to direct my path. He has the power to order my steps, to change outcomes, to do things that line up for my good as I am serving him. And we'll see that more and more in a moment as we go on. And so, again, the preparations of the, the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from God. All right, so we're, we're, we're getting close here on time. Verse 2. Notice verse 2 says, all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes. But the Lord weighs the spirits. I don't know if you caught that. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes. So this is why the Bible warns us, Old Testament and New Testament, not to be deceived. And some of that can be self-deception. So we shouldn't deceive ourselves or be deceived by anyone else. The Bible warns. What the Bible is telling me is I can't even trust myself. I can't even trust my estimation of myself, my abilities, and what I'm doing. Isn't that scary? I don't even have the, the, the power, according to Scripture, to trust my own motives as it relates to the things I'm doing. And, and, and maybe I know more about my motives than you do, but I can't even trust that. That's a scary thing to be a place to be, but it's true. Look, let me show you a little bit in Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We won't stay there long because I know we're going to need to get moving. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. If you're new to the church here, we could put this stuff on the screens, but we're in discipleship mode now. We want to make sure we're, we're all learning how to move back and forth through the Scriptures to use our sword properly. So that's why we got to turn sometime. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul makes this very point. He says, Picking it up in verse 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 is the address. Paul says, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. In fact, he says, I do not judge myself. You catch that? He says, I don't even judge myself. Well, why wouldn't he judge himself? Well, he says, for I, for I know nothing against myself, yet I'm not justified in this. But he who judges me is the Lord, therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from the Lord. In other words, he says later in the book of uh, Corinthians that we now see through a glass dimly. In other words, I don't even know what I'm doing half the time and I can't even judge myself because the reality is I can't even trust my own motives. Isn't that interesting? That's interesting to me because he says back in our text, all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes. Man, that scares me. I think I'm doing good. I think it's right. I think that my cause is noble. I should be doing it and you should be on board with it. It's the way I see life. 
It's the way a lot of us see life. The Bible says in Hebrews 4, you don't turn there, but it talks about the word of God being a, a discerner of the motive and the intents of the heart. So I think my ways are pure until I open the word and the word tells me, eh, you missing it. You're off because the word of God is called a mirror. And when we look into the perfect law of God, it reveals, it exposes. Sometimes I have to close it quick. It's like, man, Lord just showed me something and it hurt a little bit. But he's faithful. He only does that to make us stronger to, to get that thing corrected. Everybody understand what I'm saying? So when I go into the word, this is a good thing, by the way. So just hear me out. We can submit to one another because that's healthy. Because what happens is when we are together in fellowship, iron sharpens iron. When we are opening up the scriptures, whether by ourselves or together, things are being exposed and I'm being convicted and you're being convicted. And it's for my good that I draw closer to God and walk in the way that he would have for me to. Because by myself, I'm going to screw it up. That's why Proverbs 18 says the man who isolates himself, he, 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 um, only has his own desires and rages against all wise counsel. So then Christians, disciples are not called to go it alone. We're called to go it in fellowship with one another and to be in the word every day because otherwise I can't even trust myself. And that scares me. So I got to open up the Bible because when I get alone by myself and I'm having a rough time and my thoughts are, 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 are all jacked up and whatnot and I ain't feeling like I should, I realize that, hey, you know, and this is what happens. This is the times when we don't want to go around anybody. We want to fellowship because things ain't right. And the Bible is saying, no, that's the time you better run to fellowship because you're off balance. You ain't seeing things right. And you need to get corrected. So let's get in the word and let's get around one another so God can deal with these things. That verse right there, that should get you. But then it gets better. Verse 3. By the way, let me back up to verse 2. I get to moving too fast. I'm excited. Verse 2, the end says, but the Lord weighs the spirits. I forgot about that. Y'all see that? I like that. It, the, the word in the Hebrew is very simple. It has a broad meaning. He regulates, he measures, he estimates, he ponders, uh, balances, um, he love, you know, all of that kind of stuff. It also means to test, to prove. So, you know, we may think we're on track, but God is testing, he's proving, he's evaluating, he's weighing out all of it. And he's the one that knows and understands it fully. That's why Paul says, judge nothing until the Lord comes and he'll reveal all of the things that we can't see, even within ourselves. It's the Lord that weighs it out. And I think that's interesting that the Lord weighs the spirits because we're also called to weigh spirits. How many of you remember that? We're called to test spirits and not to, not to believe everything that happens. So likewise, we're called by the word of God to also test spirits. And so I wanted to, to catch that before we move on. Verse 3, I'm going to jump ahead now for the sake of time. Verse 3 says, check it out now. This is big. It says, commit it says, commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. So verse 3 is a life verse for me in that this is a verse that I learned to, I learned to walk out and I tested it. And I tested it so now I can tell you that verse 3 is a verse that you should absolutely highlight, underline, do something and figure it out. Now, let me ask the question. How many of you are going to work or school tomorrow? Okay. 
That's better than the first service. I think a lot of our retirees must be in the first service. Because I'm like, what do the rest of y'all do? Um, you know, anyway. So this is important. So he says in the verse, commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. And so one of the things I learned and as I tested this out is that when you give this thing that you are about, your work, your school, what you are doing, you are called to be a steward. And when you commit it to the Lord, meaning that you dedicate it to him, meaning you bring it for him and you say, Lord, in the course of me being a steward of my time and resources and following you, Lord, I've got this day before me. I've got this week before me, I've got this semester before me and I don't quite know how to do this thing that's before me today or maybe there is a difficult task ahead or a difficult meeting at work or whatever the situation might be uh, in, in your life no matter what you're doing and you bring it before him. This is what I used to do. I would bring it before him in that morning time. I would bring it before him on the ride to work. I would sit in the car in the parking lot before I get, go in and bring it before him and put it there and say, Lord, I'm committing this to you as your servant. And as your servant, I'm going to go and I'm going to, Lord, I'm going to listen, I'm going to be submissive to you, and I'm going to go and do this. And as you do that, notice what it says. It says that your thoughts will be established. It doesn't say that you already had it figured out. It says, though, as you go in faith now, trusting that he's got it, because remember, it is a walk of faith. So as I committed to him, then I should get up in faith and say, now I go knowing he's got it. And you can walk in there like Joshua did when he had the battle and he yelled, son, stand still because he's doing what God told him to do. And God literally somehow, we don't know how it all works according to the, the stuff that's spinning around out there, but it was like the day stopped. And I believe in my course of serving him, that when I committed to him and I'm going about doing it, that he's going to move on my behalf and he either gives me wisdom, establish my understanding, bring somebody alongside that has more than me that will help me through the process. All I know is he's going to show up and help me get it done one way or another. And I tested it at First Citizens Bank when I was still full-time in corporate America and I watched how God would show up in meetings and situations and move on my behalf because, you know, who are, who are we to think as his disciples that he doesn't care about every aspect of our lives? You know, Sunday is tomorrow. For the disciple, it's every day. You know, this ain't just the day God shows up and does big things. No, this is just the day we come together and we encourage each other and strengthen each other and equip each other for the, what's going to be tomorrow. So tomorrow, God wants to show up in the midst of what you're doing. But you got to commit it to him in faith. And then in faith, put your hands to the plow and watch what he does. He always shows up for those who are his and who are serving him. So you got to be a servant of the Lord tomorrow. And I want to encourage you, don't be one of those people that nobody would ever know you were a Christian at, at work. Don't be one of those people. No, if it, whatever, don't be fake is what I'm saying. If you're going to be one way today, then you need to be that way tomorrow. And then uh, this is the way it is. And then that way, because look, you commit it to God and God shows up. I used this analogy earlier, which I was reserving for marriage ministry tonight, but I, the Lord moved on me to use it first service. So this is a good example where we are living, the economy that we're living in. So I'm in the middle of working. My wife, you know, she's having a conversation with me and she says, hey, you know, um, the prices at the grocery store just 
Anybody know what I'm talking about? And because she does this every week, so she knows when it moves a little bit. So the point is, the budget that used to work no longer works for that. So she said, she said that. Now, the Bible says, and we'll get into this tonight at Marriage Ministry, that the, the wife is the manager of the house. So I said, so here's what, this is good. The Holy Spirit checked me real quick. So I went before the Lord and I said, Lord, the manager of my house just said that the resources I allocated no longer meet that need. And so, Lord, you know, I, as, a, as your servant, your steward who gives to your ministry, a tither, Lord, show me what to do. Make it just come out of nowhere or give me the wisdom. So I opened up my budget. And I looked at it, and, you know, the Lord is moving and moving a few things around, and boom, I sent her a text. We're good. Just rearranged the whole thing and allocated more there because it's needful there. Y'all follow what I'm saying? And by the way, you know, it's getting crazy out there. So you got to think, and you got to, you have, remember we talked about this um, end times financing? Now ain't the time, you know, to go buy the, uh, the yacht you was planning to buy or whatever, you know. <laughs> you need to be wise now um, more than ever before. Um, so I bring that up just to say that, hey, as a servant of the Lord, I absolutely expect, because I'm his son, I'm his disciple, that if I am serving him, when I go to him, that he's going to show me something. That's how you live in faith. I have no expectations of trying to figure this out on my own or do this by myself because I hadn't been called to and you haven't been called to. Does this make sense? So when you go before the Lord, man, the Lord is going to, he's going to, he's going to establish your thoughts because you're committing your work to him. And that's the walk of faith. That's the walk of faith. Tomorrow is bigger than Sunday. Tuesday is bigger than Sunday. It's easy to sit in here and encourage one another. But on Tuesday, you got to remember everything that you heard and saw today and, and everyone that encouraged you and you look at each other's faces because look around. Look around. Don't look at me. Look around at somebody else right now. On Tuesday, I, I need you to remember this. On Tuesday, that face you just saw, they're doing the same thing you're doing. They're trying to get through the week in the Lord. So when it gets difficult for you, hey, I ain't by myself. I looked around the congregation. Everybody doing the same thing. So, Lord, help us all until we get back here on Sunday. So pray for them just when you pray for yourself. In fact, let's commit it now for the week. Bow your heads. Father, thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Lord Jesus, we pray right now as we commit our week to you, all of it, our commutes, our shopping, our, our meetings, our work, our clocking in and clocking out, our hospital visits, classroom all the things that are before us, the projects, trying to figure the budget out for the company, whatever the case may be, the hiring and the firing. We put it all before you now. And Lord, we commit it to you. Lord, help us to do it as unto you, to be, bring honor to you, Lord God. And Lord, we in faith know that you will establish our ability and our understanding and that you will come alongside and provide the resources. Lord, we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Let's stand and sing.